Blog Talk Radio.
Welcome to Black Wall Street USA for Thursday, April 8, 2010, with your host, Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. This is Sonia Perdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network.com, and I will be Mr. Carter's co-host for this segment. The opening number was Hello, performed by the Sax Preacher, who was actually Minister Rahim Atan, head of the Temple of Mercy Association in Chicago. The Sax Preacher is a member of CBBN and Black Wall Street Chicago, and we always give support to our members. We feature their songs and their organizations. Now, if you listen to Hello on your default media player, it will blow you away. It sounds much better on your media player than it does on Blog Talk Radio. I have to say that because it's a bad song, and he's a bad minister. To say that his, he is a community activist, a leader, would be an understatement. You can listen to a special interview with Minister Rahim in our archives to get an idea of just a few, just a few of the things that his organization does for and within the city of Chicago. One specific facet of the organization that has attracted my attention over the past few weeks is the original Men in Black. They're sending a shout-out to men all over Chicago to join them in being a presence on the street and in the schools this summer, summer as they take a stand against black-on-black crime. Let me say that again. They're sending a shout-out to men all over to Chicago not to sit and talk about it, to be a presence in the streets and in the schools. You can reach out to the original men in black at 773-559-3278 to be part of the solution. According to Minister Rahim, there will be a march scheduled for this Saturday, April 10th, called 773-559-3278. For additional information, we hope that you take time to give them a call and be a part of that. Black Wall Street USA is on the air every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time right here on CBBN on Blog Talk Radio. We are broadcast worldwide. We want to thank you for being here today and for sharing in this opportunity to serve African-American businesses across the nation by calling in and being part of the solution. We appreciate all of you who listen to us live and those who check us out later in the week by listening to our recorded shows. You can visit our show page at www.blogtalkradio.com slash CBBN and simply click on the show link and you can listen to any. You can listen to all our shows right here online. Don't forget to pass our show link on to your friends. That's how we grow. That is how you grow. That is how we get this information out, people. We need your assistance. If you have an account with Blog Talk Radio, please take the time right now, right now, to make us one of your favorite, favorite shows. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. The chat room is open. Leave your company information and website links in the chat room. Press the number one if you would like to speak to one of our guests or if you have a comment. Now, you can listen on the line at the 347 number, but you can also listen at www.blogtalkradio.com slash CBBN, and you can get real comfortable when you do that. The topic for tonight's show is the state of black businesses in Chicago, part two. 
our guest this evening are established members in the Chicago business community. And you may not recognize their names, but they are definitely people you should know, not only because of their vast experiences and accomplishments in the business arena, but because of their services to the community. Mr. Larry E. Powell, Sr. is going to be our first guest. He is currently the owner of the Larry Powell Agency of American Family Insurance. Some of you will know Mr. Powell because of his more than 25 years in the real estate industry over there on 99th and Western. He and his wife for more than 35 years, Rhonda Powell, co-owned one of Chicago's largest minority-owned real estate companies in this city. Therefore, he is currently, certainly qualified to join us on this panel as we discuss the state of black businesses in Chicago. Most definitely. We are also anticipating a visit from Lanyi Marsh. Now, that name may not be familiar to you, but I just want to uh, drop a few things from Ms. Marsh's bio on you because it wasn't familiar to me either, but it's someone you should know. She worked on the Obama for American campaign at the call center at the national headquarters in Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania. She was in field operations. Bogovich, she was on his transition team, uh, co-chairman subcommittee for film and television, co-chaired the committee that drafted the white paper to shape the direction of the visual media industry in Illinois. Uh, Stoney Allen, uh, under, on Stoney Allen, she was under the supervision of DC strategist Ken Durkin. She has uh, some heavy credentials in politics and government. Uh, she also has some very, very heavy credentials in the film industry, but we're going to let her tell you about that. We're also expecting some other business owners to call in and share their experiences, and, uh, and we're hoping to have a great panel discussion this evening, the State of Black Businesses in Chicago, Part 2. And we also want you to know we got a last-minute call, very welcome last-minute call. We hope he comes in from our Nas Dancy, who is president of the Inglewood Chamber of Commerce. This should be an exciting show. But first, what we want to do is we want to welcome our host, Mr. Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Ron, how are you this evening? I'm fine, Sonia. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm look. This is going to be a great show, Ron. Wow. I see it. Matter of fact, I'm looking at the, the credentials and the people that you have lined up for us and to address the state of black business. I believe they definitely have a overwhelming perspective as well as a direction as uh, in which we hope to engage them in what we're doing here at Black Wall Street and their perspective experience in addressing the same issues that we are doing. So, yeah, the show is great. The activities are moving forward as we move for our next summit on May 22nd, uh, coming on home to our national summit in August, uh, August the 20th of this year. So the agenda is good. The uh, the impact is going to be felt, and uh, we welcome our callers to uh, call in, give their comments, let them know where they're at, and keep in mind that they have to register for this national summit uh, on August the 20th through the 20 uh, 23rd. And uh, so we welcome this um, involvement uh, along with 
planning for our next summit on May 22nd. So it's good, and I do welcome uh, the Chicago Black uh, Business Network in providing this forum for Black Wall Street USA as we've been picking up steam and been having some real interesting talk shows that you have put together for us. So I feel very good about it, where we are and where we're going. It's getting better and better, Mr. Carter. A lot of attention is turning towards Black Wall Street Chicago. It's pretty much the place to be in Chicago. Uh, there's a lot of things coming up. People, we had a great meeting today. We had a great board and committee meeting today. And in the next seven days, you're going to see some things put out there that's just going to absolutely blow their mind, aren't they, Mr. Carter? They sure is, from uh, the private sector to the uh uh, public sector to our agenda on automatic uh, positions as it relates to black contractors in the neighborhood to the black Wall Street districts that's popping up around Chicago uh, in which people are very enthused, even to the point that I was walking down the street and this brother wanted to sell me something. And uh, I handled my card and uh, he said, Black Wall Street, oh, I'm hip to this. So I don't know if he was talking about the movement that's going across this country or he really was referring to what's happening here in Chicago. But it's definitely touching the hearts to other people, mainly because it's a long overdue. And it kind of relates to uh, when I remember the words of Malcolm X that stated that one day we're going to turn around and it's going to be too late. But uh, we have turned around, and we see the writing on the wall, and which we're going to make sure it's not too late to sustain and increase businesses in parity to our neighborhoods. Absolutely, so absolutely. It's on, Mr. Carter. It's on, Mr. Carter. And let us not forget uh, the Black Wall Street reception is coming up on April 30th. That's Friday, April 30th, right here at the offices of South Street Journal at 449 East 35th Street from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. We have a lot of things going on that evening. We have some guest speakers. As a matter of fact, we're going to do a live broadcast of Black Wall Street USA from that event. And uh, we're going to keep you updated on that, but we certainly want you to come over and be a part of that agenda on April 30th. It's a party, too. It's a party? Yes, it's a party, too. (laughs) Yes, we take care of business. We are business people, but we do relax and we do enjoy good company. You know that, but I just want to make sure people know that, yes, we're going to have a very (laughs) intense agenda, but in the midst of uh, addressing the issues, uh, we definitely will have our spirits in line with the uh, uh, with the reception that's going to be on April 30th, three weeks away. And we definitely want people to get tickets because this is a particular special reception because it's a fundraising drive where Black Wall Street is going to open up its new office on the Black Wall Street district on 75th Street. So it's a fundraising party mission with a purpose that we are actually increasing black businesses on 75th Street, starting with Black Wall Street having its office on the street that it was designated by the state of Illinois as a Black Wall Street district. So it's a a party with a cause, with spirits in mind. 
Absolutely beautiful. You listen to Black Wall Street USA with the host, Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, and I'm Sonia Perdue, his co-host. Our guests are on the line, but and I appreciate their patience. But one thing I think that is very important, Mr. Carter, that I want to do before we go to our first guest, who is Mr. Larry Powell, and I, I appreciate your time and your patience, but I think this information is very important. We had a meeting yesterday at Black Wall Street Chicago, and Mr. Martin Strahan, Program Director for Community Assistance, Assistance Programs, was with us that day. We had a full house, and he presented a very interesting program called Put Illinois Back to Work program. Mm -hmm. Can you just give us a brief synopsis of what that program is, Mr. Carter, because it's very, very important. Well, uh, for one thing, it is a, a lot of people was wondering, where is this stimulus money for the neighborhoods? How is this stimulus money going to touch? Uh, uh, President Bar- uh, Barack Obama made the statement of uh, Wall Street to Main Street. And as he said, that we have to save our banks and we have to uh, uh, save the, the financial institutions, but that Wall Street have to touch the Main Streets. And one way Obama has uh, uh, touched this uh, concept of the main street is by providing in the Cook County area uh, stimulus money that will hire something like 3,000 people just in the Chicagoland area. And so the um, uh, the CAPS program was here at the office uh, yesterday. They gave the format whereby they do have to secure, they're going to pay 3,000 people to work for companies, whether it's a mom and pa or it's a major corporation, that uh, 3,000 people in the Chicagoland area will be hired with no cost to the, employee, to the employer, in which that is going to last from two months to six months. Yes, it is hoped that that person can get enough training and not only get enough training, to be trained enough to increase the profits of that particular business where that business can hire that person. So a a business person does have the advantage through this program to hire someone from two months to six months, and there's different other programs that can extend that person's length of well, how we can say free labor for that amount of time, but some businesses, what they must look at is to bring that person on staff with no cost and that that person can help generate uh, some type of way additional uh, resources where that person can be hired. So it's a good program. We do have the number here of how to get involved with it. People just have to call South Street Journal, Black Wall Street office at 312-624-8351, and we'll be glad to put them in touch uh, Mr. with Mr. Strayhorn that can be able to provide the staff. The staff can be from one person to 20 people on your staff, as long as that business knows how to train and to manage those people. So definitely want people to take advantage of it, and it's a very unique uh, concept that's coming from the stimulus money. So, yes, it is touching the grassroots. And I wanted to be sure 
that we get that out and we continue to get that information out. So you need to call Black Wall Street Chicago for additional information, 312-624-8351, regarding the Community Assistance Program. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Perdue. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. This show is the state of black businesses in Chicago, and all of that is absolutely relevant to that, to the state of black businesses in Chicago. But let's do this, Mr. Carter. Let's work with our first guest, Mr. Larry Powell Sr., who is currently the owner of the Larry Powell Agency of American Family Insurance. Okay. How you doing, sir? Mr. Powell? Good afternoon. All right. Good evening, Welcome. should I say. That's right. Welcome to um, Black Wall Street USA, along with the Chicago Black Business Network. So um, I'm looking over your uh, background. You went to Illinois Institute of Technology, uh, got your bachelor's degree in engineering, and did your real estate, and now you're in insurance. How did you switch from engineering to this entrepreneurship? Wow, it's amazing you asked me that. Um, I guess it started back a lot of years ago, and someone introduced me to something called uh, being an entrepreneur or, should I say, financial independence. Um, I didn't really understand it, didn't really know what it mean, meant, but it sounded good. Start a business, be your own boss. Mm. That was what I ran with. Okay. And so with the, now I have to say that going to Illinois Institute of Technology is a rarity. I recall oh? going to uh as a little boy, leaving uh, Robert Taylor Holmes, going on the west side, it just so happens I knew that I wasn't going to go to IIT. And I thought that as I go by there, and even of today, that there's not no real representation of blacks in uh, Illinois Institute of Technology. How did you manage to accomplish that? Well, a lot of it had to do with direction. Um when I came out of school, I was definitely interested in engineering, and that was the place to be. I applied. I got accepted at DePaul and, and at IIT, and that's why I decided to attend. Um, they had a much better evening and part-time program for me there, and uh, it took forever and a day to complete, but um, life goes on, and that's what you do. Okay, well, we have, uh, in, in addressing the subject of the state of uh, the black businesses uh, and looking at your background and the things that you have done, I have to go back to one of our uh, programs. Maybe about a month ago, we had a uh, gentleman by the name of Guy Williams on, and mm-hmm. he indicated, uh, are you familiar with Guy Williams? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. He's a financial uh, investor, real estate, uh, and insurance. Uh, he has a background similar to yours based on the financial uh, uh, operations uh, industry. And he made the statement that 
the black community have a uh, they have maybe about an uh, an asset of approximately uh, somewhere around about twenty dollars, compared to the white community have assets of maybe about eighty nine dollars, and he indicated that the black community would never be in parity or catch up to the worth the net worth of white America. Uh, where the black community is at. So taking in consideration your background in insurance, uh, part of the uh, Dearborn Board, uh, Dearborn Board of Realtors, uh, and being part of the South Holland Business Association, being in insurance, being in real estate, how would you assess uh, assess what uh, Mr. Williams stated? Well. I guess it could be interpreted quite a few ways. Hello, are you there? Yes. Okay. It, it, to me, it could be interpreted a lot of ways. I, I think a lot of our views come from our experiences and our exposures. Um, mine just happen to be vast, and, and, and I get a chance to uh, maybe experience and have experienced some things some folks haven't. I'm now in insurance, and I see things differently than when I saw it when I was in real estate. And what I've noticed by being in the insurance business is that we are underinsured and overexposed. And many reasons why we underinsured and over and overexposed. Right. And what I mean when I say that is that um, the average person who has a home and two cars, and teenage drivers, they have insurance, but they don't realize the exposure they have with their teenage drivers. There's something called a, uh, a personalized umbrella that gives them additional protection in the event that there's a loss. So I guess before we can start making more money, we have to first plug up the hole to keep us from losing money. But that's an exposure. Mm-hmm. Um what I've also so are noticed, you stating that that is a typical situation of Black America compared that's, that's to typical, other? That's typical. That's typical situation, more so in Black America because we don't get the exposure. Mm-hmm. There's an absence of that kind of exposure. I've owned and done quite a few things, and I was with the brand insurance company for many, many years with the same insurance person, and he never ever told me about a personalized umbrella to protect myself because I had kids, teenage drivers, not to mention I owned, uh, you know, real estate and things of that nature. And that's just from that part. Now, something else I'll share also that I see in the black communities is that we don't put a big enough emphasis on being exposed or not having insurance. When when we as a, as a black American pass away, the hat tends to be passed around. And that's how we bury our, our folk in many cases. Not in all cases, but more times than not. And uh, many times when uh, other race, they they have a, a loss in their families, that family goes up. You know, people, they, they, they do better as a result of that. Uh, and that's just, that's out of it. That's just our loss end of it. So I, would I you look at that as a a a reflection of why there is a lack of black entrepreneurship based on the uh being uh 
not being overexposed to uh, resources um, in, in in striving for entrepreneurship. I think that when we when we look at being an entrepreneur and getting out of it like that again too, I think the reason we don't have the black entrepreneurs we could have is because of lack of exposure. Number one. And most businesses, if you look across the board, are undercapitalized. There's just not enough money to do it. We'll get, we'll retire from some place. We'll get enough money. We'll get started in a business. Most businesses will require, regardless of what the initial startup cost would be, you're looking at you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to run something successfully. Mm-hmm. And how do you get the money? The resources. The banks are not making the money available to us. I think right now, the black Businesses are more so in the state of a recovery. Um, once you once you truly become an entrepreneur and get that feeling, it's not something you feel comfortable about about going back out and getting a job. You reinvent yourself, and so I think many of the folk right now are in the process of reinventing themselves. I do believe recovery is in the horizon, but I would sure love to know when. Well, uh, again, uh, then to look at the net worth of the typical uh, black and the net worth of a typical white, uh, would you somewhat uh, be optimistic about Mr. Williams' uh, perspective that blacks would never be able to catch up uh, to the imperity to the white um, uh, net worth? I, I don't like that word, never. And I guess because I feel that the generation that's coming along are going to be much smarter. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're going to be more, well, first of all, let's understand something. Things are never going to be the way they were. Okay. Okay, but when you but say I, the I, way they never were, what are you referring to? The way to? they were. I don't mean as far as just blacks. I'm talking about just the way we live and the way society is. It's going to be a long time for this healing. A lot of money was lost when the when the bottom fell out of life, and uh, it's never going to be that way again. Not to mention we won't be as wasteful uh, as a people. Period. But I do believe that 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 like that's what I mean. I said things are never going to be the same again. But I think that the young folk that are coming along now are going to bring a lot more to the table in terms of being their own bosses and wanting to be there. And maybe through diversity, uh, the folk that, that lend this money will get to be feeling a little bit better about blacks managing um, managing businesses. I've been in business for a lot of years, and I think that there was an absence of confidence that hindered a lot of the, the lending, not to mention potentially some discrimination when it came to getting some of this money circulated around to open businesses. Is the uh, being a part of the Dearborn uh, Board of Realtors, that is not the same as the Dearborn Realtors, or is it? It is. Realtors. Oh, it is. Okay. Dearborn Realtors uh, Board. Right. Okay. Now, with that... Uh, and, and, Ron, I, I don't want you to think that I was getting around this net worth issue. And, and, and I wanted well, to go I, back yeah. for just a minute because... I believe that there are quite a few blacks out here with, with net worth to be comparable. But, again, too, we we got to look at where the folk are. 
uh, they're not necessarily in the city. They're out. But, no, there's not there. But I do think the potential is coming. Well, being a part of the Dearborn Board of Realtors and the South uh, Holland uh, Business Association and uh, Toastmasters, um, you have been exposed to many variables as it relates to the state of black business and as it relates to the, the to the direction. And I will. I know that you all recently lost Mr. Johnson. When I yeah. say you all, I would say the uh, the community at large, where he was a pioneer in the um, direction of blacks being in real estate and opening up many markets. Um, is there, do there need to be or are there a true representation of pioneers such as Mr. Johnson who opened up many doors during the 60s uh, as it came to blacks uh, uh, gaining real estate and getting involved in land purchasing? Is there some type of drive presently that is uh, associated with the works of him? I I I couldn't comment on that because I I truly don't know. I do know though that the Dearborn Board of Realtors is a very deep-rooted organization that's been around for a very long period of time that is still working in the trenches inside of the city to make things possible and to keep an understanding about what's going in the neighborhoods. Um I I think right now as far as this drive is concerned, I no, I can't say that that's the direction of that organization, but they are communicating, getting information out. They're doing um, mortgage modifications, tell people, you know, secure that things like that are somewhat in the form of a NACA type of an organization. So there's a lot of things going on like that there. But as far as leadership, no. But there's a lot of people that's been in this organization a long time that's keeping it going. Can you give an assessment of the state of black business? based on your experience and your involvement? I would say it's in a state of recovery. Um, I feel that the that the current owners are in the process of reinventing themselves. I say that things are never going to be the same again. It's going to require some retraining. Um, Ron, I think the, the, the business at large is going to have to embrace uh, that adversity and learn from it. When, when you look at adversity, it, it's something that happens to you where you're better off after it sometimes than you were before it. Um, as we make reference to some of those things, the Depression, after it was over, we were better. After World War II, we were we were better. After we go through some of these things, after this economic turndown, I feel we're going to be better than we were before. Okay. That's fine. Well, how do you refer to uh, retraining? Well, first of all, it's a responsibility to ourselves to continually educate ourselves. Um, I think that there needs to be some passion involved in it. I think people lack discipline sometimes because they don't have the passion for what it is they're looking for. So there's some things out here, a bottle cap opener or something that somebody has gone on in their head that they need to do and try out. But it's the it's the next generation that's coming. You follow what I'm saying? Okay. It's the next generation I think that's going to make the the biggest inroad in the difference. We talk about green technology, and most folks don't understand green. 
Uh, we look at the, the the industry. Ford has got Taurus being manufactured right here with a vehicle that's doing 30 miles to a gallon after two years of an economic turndown. Where was that car two years ago? You know, somebody did something there, and I just think there's going to be more jobs created. I think we're going to get more movement, uh, uh, you know, amongst our people because we're going where we can get jobs. Well, but I think all in all, we, huh? If I look at the uh, the, uh, the typical view of uh, black America when we relate to the state of black businesses, who, what individual or organization would you say may be on the right track? Ooh. You you said to me typical view. I. I <laughs> Well, I don't think I could have a based on the um uh the black community normally have identified with a leader per se. Uh and we have had our leaders from uh from the beginning of Frederick Douglass to Nat Turner to the Black Panther Party to Jesse Jackson to Farrakhan to the Balls to many leaders have kind of set different tones of direction. Could you identify a particular leader or an organization that really is addressing the state of black businesses? I think you you may want to call it the Barack Obama era. I think that based on where his base came from or is coming from being a younger folk, we're going to look more into education and trying to be better because, after all, a black man has been president. Uh, again, too, I don't think that things will ever be the way they were. We we were trying to take a position or a stance uh, from something that we may have experienced in the past could benefit us because of the adversity that we went to to accomplish those feats. But I think that there's a new road. I, I, I'm an innovative thinker. All right, I, I don't. I don't. If everybody's going left, most likely Ron Larry will be going right. You know, I, I try to use my time wisely. And when we use that word "typical," I am everything but typical, <laughs> you know. Right. So right. that, that's how it is. But I, I, I think that we as a people need to look at where our passions lie and not be afraid to step out on that. So now we're talking about faith, and we we talk about being blessed and highly favored. But we do we truly know what that means? So when we step out on these things that we believe in. That's what I believe is going to make the difference. And that's why I think that this next generation of people coming along, them are going to be different. They're going to be more spiritual-based. They're going to be better educated. The fear is not going to be there. And, what is your uh, age, Spa? Uh, um, what is your age? Wow, Ron, you asked me that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not afraid to tell you. I'm 55. I'll be, I'll be 56 this year. Mm-hmm. So in your generation, do you believe that uh, is your generation in general have missed out or is on mark, or is there another generation have to pick up the slack? Well, let me give you a little history. Okay, I attended IIT and was attending there and was working at one of the major companies in the city uh, as a designer. I was a, what they call a cons- Senior Computer Automated Designer, very long title. I worked on computers way back when computer graphics and design first started. 
that was in the uh, early, what should I say, mid-70s. Mm-hmm. And I remember so clearly being in the room and a white guy saying, well, just blame it on the black guy, you know. <laughs> And but but you know it wasn't so much that I was probably one of the uh, I take pride in what I do that I was not only one of the better designers there looked better dressed better and did everything better the nerve of him to give the insinuation that I was only there because I was the token uh-huh. I don't think uh-huh. that the next generation will have to deal with that okay you know okay that, well look that was we behavior gotta... that ran me out of the engineering environment in the real estate because we're gonna have to have you. At our uh, reception on April 30th and at our summit on May 22nd. But we want to take a break right now and come back, and I want you to hold on uh, while we uh, bring on the other guests. Can you do that? I certainly can. Okay. Sonia. I'm here. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with your host, Mr. Ryan Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Perdue, co-host for this segment. And this is the State of Black Businesses in Chicago with Larry Powell Sr. And uh, great for you to join us this evening, Larry. And I want you to know, uh, Mr. Carr, I've known Larry Powell for a long, long time. I'm not telling my age either. <laughs> 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 you know, I won't tell mine, but I've known Mr. Powell and his family for, for quite, quite a while. And I appreciate him taking the time this evening to join us. We want you to call Call in at 347-326-9477. We need you not only to join us as a listener, we need you to call in and be part of the solution. We know that you have a position. We know that you have an opinion on the state of black businesses in Chicago, particularly particularly if you're a business owner out there. Call in and share your experience with us. Please do that at 347-326-9477. After the break, we're going to bring in our second guest, Ms. Lanyi Marsh. And you may not know her, but once you hear about all the things that she does, you'll recognize some of those things, and then you'll you'll have a, another person to network with because we hope that she, too, also comes out to the reception and to the summit on May We support 27th. organizations like Partners in Community Building, Inc., as they contribute to building up our communities by enriching the lives of others. Partners in Community Building is a nonprofit organization, and there is no charge for their services. PICB is a HUD-certified counseling agency, and here are just a few of the services available to you in the Chicagoland area. Foreclosure prevention, there's no charge for this service. Winterization, who doesn't need their home winterized? CETA energy assistance and furnace programs. Even if you are paying your electric and gas bill on time, you may still qualify for assistance from CETA. Home ownership counseling is available as well as rental assistance referrals. Partners in Community Building is located at 3424 South State Street in Chicago. For additional information and to schedule an appointment, contact PICB at 312-328-0873. Call 312-328-0873 for all of your housing needs. Ms. Bobby Ball is the Executive Director of Partners in Community Building, Inc. Tell her you heard about it on CBBN on Blog Talk Radio. Mm. 
We're back, and you're tuned in to Black Wall Street USA with Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, as our host. I'm Sonia Perdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network.com. Join us today and touch the world. You also heard from Boise Queen with Our Love is Here to Stay and Boise Can Tear Up a Piano. You may contact Mr. Boise Queen for all of your entertainment needs at Chicago's Black Business Network.com. Our calling number is 347 326 9477. The chat room is open. Leave your company information and website links in the chat room. Press the number one if you would like to speak to one of our guests. We're going to go uh, and bring on our next guest. We're going to bring Mr. Carter back, and we're going to want to go and bring on our next guest, and then we're going to go to the telephone lines. Mr. Carter, let's welcome Lanyi Marsh to the show. Welcome, Ms. Marsh. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed Ms. the show. Ms. Marsh. So Ms. Marsh. Yes. Looking over your credentials and your background uh, is too impressive to even touch on. But we're going to try to do that, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, from your background in uh, political work, working all the way with uh, the president, uh, Barack Obama, to um, State Representative um, Duncan to working with the, the local grassroots organizing from uh, the it goes on and on even to the point as you touched on your work in the movie industry from movies to televisions to theater to film to commercials. How old are you? <laughs> Um, I'm not as old as Mr. Powell. I, I'm a civil rights '60s baby, and that's as, that's as much information as I'm going to share on my age. <laughs> okay, but you have able to get in such a vast amount of uh, experience, and you also, with your experience, you have um, touched a lot of people, and a lot of people have touched you in your working. Um, there was an entertainer that I, I talked to, and as a matter of fact, this is a reflection of a show that's on it as well. Uh, and this entertainer, uh, upon sitting down with her, I asked her the question, why is it so hard with the vast amount of influence entertainers have that they do not use their position of influence to address the state of we our show is the state of black business but the state of black America and which the response was that they would get blackballed in so many words. Absolutely. Um do you is so that is the case. That is absolutely the case, yes. Regardless of who you are in the industry or what your position is, you could be you could be someone as well known as Denzel. If he were to come out on a um, equality agenda, or you know, he would be looked on that would be looked on unfavorably in the within the industry, and he probably would find a difficult time to get um, cast. And I'm just using that as a hypothetical example, but um, certainly. It's an industry where 
I mean, anyone that worked, in, I'm, and when I say, I mean the mainstream motion picture industry. I'm not speaking of independent filmmaking. That's a completely different entity of filmmaking. And that is uh, essentially the only uh, segment of filmmaking where we and other people of color, specifically black people, are making any inroads. Mm-hmm. So uh, as your work in the uh, political uh, arena and also your work in the entertainment, how have you been able to balance the two? Because it seems as though your experience is both is seems as though they are a lifetime for one individual that can be approximately uh, 90 years old. <laughs> well, no, my... Um uh, my introduction to the political arena happened when I was very young. My father was actively involved in 24th Ward politics, so I sort of grew up in in politics, just hanging around. And do at that time, my I was I was a very young child, so my job at that time was just to stand around and smile and pass out things. And and so I, I sort of continued that as an adult. Um, keep in mind, I've never been any major. A staffer on anybody's campaign. Uh, I, 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 uh, in terms of the presidential campaign, I like millions of other Americans just um, created a MyBo account and got out there and went where they sent me. So um, I don't want to imply that I am some, um, you know, I'm not David Axelrod or uh, <laughs> Valerie Jarrett or anything like that. I'm just. Uh, a citizen that is, you know, devoted to my community, and I go out and do whatever I can when I have time to to uh, lend my support. Well, even with the experience that you have, as I uh, asked Mr. Powell, uh, and I will ask you based on a individual on previous show of the uh, Black Wall Street USA, he indicated that Mr. Guy Williams stated that uh, the black uh, net worth is approximately about uh, $20, and the uh, white uh, community is about $87 net worth, and that the black community will, for the most part, will never catch up in parity. Uh, do you assess that as it may relate to the state of black businesses? Well, I... I I am reluctant to say never, that anything will never, because the, the potential and the possibility always exists. Um, anything can always be turned around. However, in, in my opinion, um, for we to make any inroads, we have to begin to work collectively. And uh, specifically in my industry, what I see is, like you said, you had a conversation with a talent. If the talent and crew and production and everyone within the industry, all the components necessary to make it work, would um, pitch in and work together, and, and that's that's essentially in any industry, I think we we would begin to see some growth. Um, and, and I don't think I, I'm not going. I, I'm not going to give dates as to when this erosion began, but it it's been building for some time. It didn't just happen with the fallout of the economy. I mean, our businesses and our uh, uh, lack of access to capital have been in existence for some quite some time. So uh, we find ourselves worse off than our non-black 
uh, counterparts in similar situations because we've always had a rough time getting access to capital and um, having access to economic opportunities, period, that exist within industries. So uh, in order for, in my opinion, in order for there to be change, um, in order for us to turn this around, we're going to have to become um, more connected and more vocal. And, and well, if I can use the same uh, question to uh, Mr. Powell, indicating as we have the cloud or stereotype of uh, black leadership, is there a a leader per se or an organization that you feel as though is on the right track as far as the current um, position of that collaboration that you're speaking of? Uh, any one organization, I would have to say no. Um, at, that I see, and, and keep in mind, I am a member of quite a few of them, <laughs> uh, the black organizations. But you are I, I a member say, of a quite a few organizations, and you <laughs> cannot name one that may represent the right track when we're talking about the addressing the state of black uh, business. Individually, no. I would have to say no. I would have to say no. Honestly, I mean, that's my honest opinion. I'm sure there are going to be some people there. And you, me, but... and you remember, <laughs> you can you would say the same thing as it relates to an organization as well. Um, I would say that of all the organizations that exist, collectively, they may each one has a component of what it's going to take to turn this around. In my opinion, keep in mind this is just my opinion. Um, what happens is, and it's, hap it's happened publicly, one organization will have this position, another organization will have this, or one speaker or one leader will have this position. And what mainstream America does with that generally is pick apart or marginalize one aspect of one thing that one entity is doing, and it causes division and takes us away off focus and off message and then instead of focusing on what the real issues are, lack of access to economic opportunities, lack of access to capital, um, we start this infighting thing. And um, until we figure out a way to bridge those divisions, to um, – you know, uh, connect the people with the resources, with the people with the knowledge, uh, and all work together. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, if we, if I take your position, being on uh, Governor Rob Bogovich uh, transition team in 2003, um, being in that position, uh, do what do you carry with you as your main focus when you're uh, in that position of being on a governor's transition team? Well, I was selected uh, to be on the transition team um, by a member of his transition staff at the time because I was a very vocal person within the motion picture industry. I um, had done all kinds of things. I was very vocal about the lack of access, uh, the outright blatant discrimination within the industry, um, and the and I, most people that know me know that. So um, I was asked to be on the transition team, and it was it was 
I think there were seven or eight of us. And out of all the people that were there, uh, myself and one other African-American, Dr. Cornelius Collins, who used to work at the Chicago Urban League, who Correct. Yes, since I made his him transition. Well. Right, right. He was one of the first um, people to work with us, the group of black filmmakers that were in town attempting to, um, you know, make some, some, some strides in the industry and create some openings for others that were talented enough and uh, had, should have access to the industry. So we were the only two African Americans on the transition team, and we were instrumental in creating all the points necessary to turn the industry around and make it more inclusive. And the moment that that transition team, it was, it's only a, you're only, you only meet for maybe a few weeks, um, a few months at the most. You have a series of meetings. You draft a white paper, uh, as they call it, and um, you come up with points and you submit them to the governor. Then that that group is disbanded. So, uh, and what? Uh, ironically, what happened after that? The white paper and all the information that we submitted and all the ideas that we shared. There was a an organization, a mainstream organization, with essentially maybe at the time no. A rep, uh, representation of people of color took that information, hired lobbyists, and created an, a state organization around that that had direct access to the governor. And we, we meaning people of color in the business, the, the few black vendors, all the black labor uh, people, and keep in mind we all work as independent contractors for the most part, so we are our own businesses. Like we may not have, uh, like we may have a building where we go and have an office, but we are businesses. We're we're vendors. We rent equipment. We, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, most people don't understand what we do in the industry, so it's hard to, it's hard to explain. But um, so from that point on, our our we it, it, having been. On the transition team, um, the only the only the advantage to that I will say was uh, having access to get information out and having direct access to um, make it known what the state of the industry was because that uh, the industry was created in the 30s here all the labor unions and the first you know the whole motion picture industry here in Illinois and. Uh, all of the unions that govern the uh, opportunities that exist within those industries began in like the 1930s. And we have been absent essentially from those industries since then. <laughs> uh, and, and even now we only exist in very minute numbers. Well, taking the uh, earlier question of the entertainer that I uh, spoke with and stated that uh, they would be blackballed, taking a position of influence, uh, even to the point of addressing the state of uh, uh, black businesses or the state of, of the black. Well, take, for example, in Chicago State a couple of weeks ago when Travis Smiley had the, uh, the black agenda. Um, what direction do you see or steps that need to be 
taken, and even if you can hold that question, um, in your involvement in politics, is there a thin line in politics and business as it relates to the black community opposed to the Arab community and the Asian community that's doing very fine and have no elected officials. Well, I think um, that you may be onto something there, <laughs> and um, because you may be onto something there. I mean, I've, I've never given that a lot of thought, with the exception that um, there, I don't even know how to articulate it really. The, the, the Asian communities and other various community ethnic groups within the state, the city, they generally don't look to government for assistance. They they pool their resources. They work together. Just like I said, the divisions that exist within our communities, within our organizations, um, they don't tend to have those same divisions. They 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 have a, a, a method of working together, pooling their resources, and making. Economic and developing economic growth within their communities. That's something that we are lacking. And uh, for the most part, I will say, and especially in terms of our elected officials on the state level, because um, I haven't had much involvement with many of our local, our city council people. Because how did you manage not to get involved with that? Well, because our issue, uh, the state offers tax incentives to the motion picture industries. So essentially okay. what they, the state is responsible for subsidizing okay. a, okay. An, in, an industry that excludes us, and that's my position on that. Well, if I can go back on that, uh, the, uh, can elaborate on that question based on historically that the black community, even as we um, speak about Black Wall Street of Tulsa, Oklahoma, as we speak about um, uh, Bronzeville, where the community was ran by the the policy, which is now known as the Illinois State Lottery, right. and even as it relates to even Harlem, where they all had their own economy. Um, could we uh, point the problem on integration or we point the problem to a conspiracy of the government. And I'm using that term, conspiracy of the government, as it relates to the state of Illinois um, 2040 plan and their projections of what uh, the northern Illinois, northeastern Illinois, will look like in the year 2040. So is it a is it a, a subliminal conspiracy, or is it a fault of integration? Uh, because the black community historically has operated like the other ethnic groups when it comes to um, its own self economy. Well, Where I was, did, I'm sorry. I I will say. Um, it's, again, it's a combination of things, and and I mean, in the past maybe we have acted that way, <laughs> but currently we don't. I mean, there there are huge divisions within our communities. 
I mean, you have the black academics, and then you have the creative. I mean, I belong to the creative community, and for the most part, we have always been an underground community. Uh, in many instances, we've had to leave the United States altogether to earn a living and gain recognition in terms of our our artists, our actors, our singers, our um, musicians. I mean, you name it. So um, for me to what I see, in, in my opinion, I see there are just too many divisions. And until we figure out a way to bridge those gaps, I, I keep saying that, and uh, connect the resources with the knowledge, uh, it, I don't see us strengthening our position economically enough to even make a difference. Well, the media tends to influence the direction, and naturally the uh, entertainment uh, industry is probably on the top of influencing the mindsets, even if the entertainment is uh, the PlayStations, <laughs> where the projections that they have. In your workings with uh, the with government and your workings in entertainment, which one do you feel have the most influence in the direction of uh, black people? Well, I, I've, I constantly say, and anybody that knows me knows that I'm always saying that media is the most serious issue our community has to address. And, and and I've been trying to work on that for over a decade now. And I know I, I'm, I'm from the motion picture industry, but most motion pictures, they're all connected. The, the news media, the motion picture studios, they are all entities of one big conglomerate, really. I mean, there are separations in that, but for the most part, they are one. And, and until you figure out how to address them, and, and it's very complex by design, and it, it, and the moment somebody speaks out and begins to investigate, something happens, and they dissipate. They, they disappear, and they drop the discussion. So give me an example of one of those uh, conglomerates of uh, a multimedia. I know we have Time Warner um, as one. Uh, I mean, that's, that... that's, one, that's a major one. You have ABC. You have Disney and ABC are one and the same. You have... Um, I mean, at this point, I'm not. And then you have Viacom. I think was Paramount. I mean, and and so many people are selling off. I can I really. Uh, the past two years, I I, I can't keep up with who owns who anymore. Mm-hmm. But they're all very connected. Um, Rupert Murdoch with Fox. He owns Directv. He owns uh, Devo. He. <laughs> I mean, it's. It's all connected. It's all united, and they are. So shaking. again, with you, uh, the most influence on the state of uh, uh, black media. business is, is, is it's, media. It's the state of America, period, is the, is the media. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that, Sonia? Mainstream media, I should say, not just. Yes, Mr. Todd, I'm listening. <laughs> and the most dangerous to to our community. And the most dangerous as well. Um, With that in mind, how do we, even as complex as you described it and how it definitely may influence the the mindset and the direction, if it's no more than, and you've been involved in, in producing commercials as well. 
correct. Is that correct? Correct. I've been involved in production for, I will tell you that, for over 20 years now. Well, even as your role in selling and producing the media to get people to uh, how they're going to spend their money, um, is there a an assessment or research that you would do to determine exactly how to blend that particular commercial uh, based on the the, uh, the trend, or are you well, that's, creating that's a trend? Well, that's my function because I'm a production crew person. So oh, now okay. a, a, that would be the client usually does that and the ad agency. Those people normally work together to develop all of that, the brainwashing or the um, uh, semiotic uh, aspect of whatever it is that's being sold uh, and how to uh, attach that to the minds of, Consumers. That is not my function. I do not. I mean, I've I've sat in on those meetings, those, and I I understand how that all works. But that is not something that I'm ever involved in. But the problem that usually occurs there, and why we are either portrayed horrendously or uh, brainwashed uh, uh, to a degree where where it's harmful to us, is because there aren't many of us that sit in those meetings. You know, for the most part. I mean, occasionally you got a few here and there. I mean, and and I will say, there are there are sprinkling of to- there's a sprinkling of tokenism because the discussion has become or the the discussion regarding the lack of in, of lack of uh, participation of of blacks and, and other minority groups. I guess I don't even like to use that term, but so they are cognizant of that, and they do occasionally like to have somebody in the room, but usually that somebody that's in the room is someone that is so thankful just to be in the room <laughs> that they're not saying anything and they're not, um, you know, giving any real input okay. or, and well, because they know they're not allowed to. They're just there as a, a token or a figurehead. Okay, well, we're going to take a break, and uh, when we do so, I'd like to bring you back on with Mr. Powell so that we can have a little roundtable here and uh, and move from there. Is that okay? That's great. All right. Okay, Sonia, where we are? Where are we? Okay. We're listening to right. Black Wall Street USA with you, Mr. Carter, Chairman of Black Wall right. Street Chicago. This is Sonia Purdue, co-host. And our guest this evening is Mr. Larry Powell Sr., who is currently the owner of the Larry Powell Agency of American Family Insurance. And we want to be sure that Mr. Powell gets the opportunity to tell us about his business and how we can contact him. And we're also, our guest this evening, is Lon Yee Marsh, who Ron says has the experience of someone who has lived 90 years. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to be back with both of them right after this break, and the topic tonight is the state of black businesses in Chicago, part two. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. We want to thank you for listening, but we sure we would love for you to call in and be part of the solution.
back, and you're tuned into Back Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, and I'm Sonia Perdue, his co-host. Before we go back to our hosts and our guests, let's thank last week's guest for the State of Black Businesses Part 1. Ms. Robin Kelly joined us. Ms. Kelly is currently the Chief of Staff to the Illinois State Treasurer and the first black female to hold that position in Illinois, and she is now making her move to be the next State Treasurer from this state. Eugene Delanato also joined joined us. Uh, he's with Black Pages International, and uh, he had a lot to say about the state of black businesses in Chicago. I like Mr. Delanato's style. You were just listening to Can We Change the World, and you hear that song a lot on my show and on Ron's show because of its relevance to what we do at Black Wall Street Chicago and Chicago's Black Business Network dot com. Can we change the world? A caller number is three four seven three two six nine four seven seven. You must press the number one in order for us to bring you back on the air. Let's bring back Mr. Powell and Miss Marsh and our host, Ron Carter. Welcome back to the show. Well thank you, Sonia. Um Mr. Powell, uh Miss Marsh. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let me uh, uh, address in the state of black business. Um, both of you have heard of the uh, the black cats um, superstitious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which, uh, based on that, uh, do you think that have anything to do with the state of the problem of the state of black business? I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. Okay, you know the superstitious theory about the black cat, don't let it cross your path? Right. Okay, is that <laughs> basically where we are? We do not want to cross the, uh, our own path of success based on superstitious that that is a no-no to do? Okay, uh, <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I was <laughs> waiting for Mr. Powell to answer that. I, I was trying to, uh, I was trying to grasp that, Ron. Well, um, uh, there is. Uh, are you saying the, that the? Go ahead. Well, we know that black cat. Don't let a black cat cross your path, because you cross the path, that's bad luck. Is that the same thing with uh, black businesses? Don't let black businesses cross your path. If you see it, go the other way. Because if you go that way, so are we um, caught up in our own superstitions of success where we don't move forward because of some stereotypical um, uh, phrase that's put upon us? Ron, you know, and I think Ms. Marsh had mentioned it earlier. By the way, Hi, um, Miss Marsh. Larry Powell. Hi, hi, Larry. Hi. <laughs> uh, Miss Marsh had mentioned it a little earlier, and she said something I believe about divide and conquer. And I think there may be some old stereotype that that may come from the past about black businesses and the way we do business. But I vary to differ with those folk uh, because some of the best work you're ever going to get is from people of your own color. Sometimes we just are not acclimated to do business in the light in which it should be done. And, again, too, we need more information. Uh, 
really about how it's done. In other words, you just wake up one morning and have an entrepreneurial surge and you set up and you start a business without truly understanding what's required to run and operate that business. Mm-hmm. And, so, Mr. Uh, Powell and, and, and Ms. Marsh, both of you all are entrepreneurs uh uh, based on the work that you do in the entertainment and uh, the work that you're doing in politics to a great deal is that entrepreneurship drive. And you, Mr. Powell, from uh, you, the businesses that you have had, um, in your works, have you encountered, uh, is it more you encounter people of your kind or do you... Uh, associate more of people that need to be in your line of work. So is it uh, follow the uh, the path of where you are, or how do you engage other people? Well, I will say that I personally, throughout my career, have made every effort to pull people in to my industry. Um, uh there are there are countless people of talent in, that are out there shooting and, and directing and uh, on production crew worthy people that can't even get a job in my industry. I mean, I I was at a lecture once and I met a guy who said he had a PhD for, in film from Northwestern and he couldn't be hired as an extra or a PA on a movie here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, that's outrageous. <laughs> um, but true. But true. But true. Yes. So but I true. work diligently, and I always have. To um, and, and 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 I mean, if you talk to people, they know that they they you know they try to appease me by. There are a few people working in the industry now, but they're sort of doing a rotation thing. I mean, they're they're coloring it up. The the, the most people that have benefited from our efforts. And I say our efforts because those that founded uh, the United Filmmakers Foundation, most of them have passed away. There's only a couple of the founding members. I was the founder, the co-founder, Gloria Coffee Sharif, and made her transition last year, and she was the last uh, actual founding member. So uh, there's a couple of others that are still here. But uh, having said that, those people that are that have most benefited are security guards. Uh, because what they do, there's some, some kind of language in the legislation that they have to have diversity. There's no oversight. There's no this. And it, 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 it just it translates to black security guards on the set. That has nothing to do with filmmaking. That has nothing to do with production. That has nothing to do with anything. Mr. Arnest um, uh, Dancy has uh, joined us on the line. He has been a uh, is a entrepreneur and has been an advocate addressing the uh, state of uh, black business all the way from the national uh, scene with the National Black Chamber of Commerce to the Illinois Black Chamber of Commerce and even locally with the Inglewood um, uh, Black Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Mr. Dancy, welcome. Uh, thank you, Mr. Carter, and good evening to your guests. Okay. Good evening. Um, we was addressing, and we are addressing the state of black business, and we've had some uh, assessments and uh, directions. In your capacity 
of and working with the Black Chamber of Commerce, in which I understand you have actually brought the uh, Black Chamber of Commerce to the state of Illinois through your initiatives, and definitely you brought it here to Chicago. Uh, what is your assessment of the state of black businesses in Chicago, Mr. Dancer? Uh Speaking from a, a maybe I'm a, probably looking at uh, e- economics, business, and politics for the last maybe 26 years here in Chicago, as far as being active for the last, last 10 years, I'm I'm very sad to say it's kind of weak here in Chicago from the perspective of all the big name businesses and black folks that we have here that have done well, but that has not transcended from the standpoint of to real black business and empowerment as well as uh, political empowerment, and th- that was part of the reason that you saw that we had to create black chambers of commerce here in Chicago and throughout the state of Illinois to kind of start to address that issue from an economic perspective as well as a public policy perspective. So I think we didn't have a real infrastructure to really really to assess black business each and every year and to also compare that assessment to how budget appropriations at federal, state, county, and city levels as far as how our tax dollars are spent from a business and economic perspective. So we tried to pull together these these vehicles that would take a look you know, at that type of stuff on a on a on a more monthly basis, as you as you know, Ron, I write an e-blast about most of what I'm talking about on a consistent basis to try to educate the masses, but also to to give some direction uh, based on you know how our tax dollars flow in and out our communities. And so, given that we didn't have an infrastructure, that's where we're coming in now to try to help build that infrastructure to to look at how uh, I give I give you a perfect example. The late Dr. Arthur Fletcher, who's our, our, our former national chairman, I had a chance to spend five years with him and to really, really learn from a person that spent many years inside government and, and taught us how government you know, flows. And so from that perspective, what he told us was for the 21st century, in order for blacks to have an effective economic agenda, it must be able to project out with the federal government budgets, state, county, and city. That's your front-end planning uh, vehicle in order for you to understand how those dollars are, are made available. Well, I asked the question earlier of, um, of Ms. Marsh and Mr. Powerly, um looking at other ethnics, where two, for an example, the Asian community and the uh, Mid-Eastern community, that they do not have any elected official, uh, and they do not engage that much in public policy, but their economic stability in their community have outgrown the black community that has the elected officials and policy and government. What is What do you contribute that the black community must engage more in the public policy opposed to the other groups that are not. Is that directed to me? Yes. Yes. Well, I'll say from a uh, uh, the first part of that question, I'll say from a cultural standpoint, as as, as they came here voluntarily, they they knew they they knew entrepreneurship and economics was the base for any any group of people to survive. We we fought this battle with America from a social social perspective first, as you know how we were brought here. 
what was taken from us. But as you saw, we we are the only race of people that fought the civil rights fight that we fought with America. None of those other groups did. So we kind of came from a social perspective, coming around to the economic arena, whereas their culture from their from their homeland and where they came from was 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 how they were taught. In order to survive here, you had to work hard. You had to be an entrepreneur and all of that. So I think that's just my perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So from the um, the other point of, of concern and knowing that you are part of the uh, National Black Chamber of Commerce, I asked the question of what group or what individual would you identify with our stereotypical uh, thought of a black leader that you see as an example, uh, individual or group, that is an example of pushing the black agenda as it relates to uh, the state of black businesses? Well, I would say our our own national organization, and I'll give you uh, an example of. We're 17 years old. And we've generated $6 billion in new business for black, black-owned businesses throughout this country. Uh, within, within, just say, uh, within Hurricane Katrina and the Gulf Coast rebuilding uh, effort, uh, this is, can be verified. Uh, our national members uh, were awarded $1.2 billion to redevelop the housing authority area of New Orleans. Uh, as far as the Gulf, Gulf Coast rebuilding effort, we had to launch a blazing battle against the Alaskan Native Corporations on Capitol Hill because they were – given sole source, first source contracts, and then if you factor in Halliburton and all those big guys, pretty much we were getting wiped out. So we had to come up with a strategy on how we were going to fight an entity like Halliburton with all its backing and all its power, as well as get black folks ready to participate in that rebuilding effort. Because it's not just about fighting. It's what capacity do you have after you're ready to fight to take advantage of 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 the effort. Well, after, after that blazing battle on Capitol Hill, this was 2007 or 8, I believe it was. It might have been 2008. We we signed joint venture deals. When I say we, the National Black Chamber members, with capacity, signed $2 billion in Gulf Coast rebuilding effort deals. So that was the $3.2 billion. As far as on the workforce side, you know you don't have all the, all the union issues in the South like you do here in the North. And so basically uh, about 25 entities came together that we were a part of called uh, – the website is called imgreat.org, I-M-G-R-E-A-T.org. And this was a workforce uh, construction training effort to get those people ready to take advantage of the rebuilding effort. And there was only three requirements, that you had an eighth grade, be reading an eighth grade math, eighth grade reading, and be able to pass a drug test. And that was basically it. The goal was from 2007 to 2009 to train 25,000 folks in construction and get them ready for those jobs. Well, that effort got met maybe 12 months earlier. And of those 25,000, 12,000 12, were black. They were making make prevailing wage as of this day. So those are just some of the efforts that it took a national, state, and local effort to fight those fights against those entities, to even get at the opportunity, let, you know, then to also to win those opportunities. And those are just some of the battles we wage around the country on behalf of black business because we're getting beat on the, on the front end. Before let we me get ask to- uh, there was a, um, and if I could get uh, each of you to address the uh, the state, the the black agenda. I don't know if any of you attended, but I maybe did. you've heard of the uh, the black agenda with Travis Smiley. What are you all assessment 
of that forum? Um, I was speak. I attended the forum, and um, as usual, I mean, the, I I found it to be a discussion again on the state of of things that most of us know. Um, but also, I found I, I found it to be positive because there were a lot of young people in the audience, and uh, they found it. I was not there myself, but what percentage <laughs> of young people was there? Well, it was at Chicago State, so there was a, a large majority of students that were there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I've been told that the room held 3,000 people, so uh, I'm, I, I'm not a mathematician, so I'm okay, not going to okay. guess. But uh, one of the students, uh, the president of the student body there, was on the panel as well. So there, I, I'm saying it was a good discussion, and some people still need to have the discussion because there are people that aren't aware of, ironically, what's going on, a lot of the younger people. But I have a, I have a question for... Um, I'm sorry, what's the, the black Kyle or Nanez? Nanez? Mr. Mm -hmm. Nanez, is that, is that your name? Uh, Arnez Danzy. Arnez Danzy. Okay, I have to put this here, Nanez. Uh, I used to talk to him all the time, but the last time he was at the summit, I uh, said that this is the first time I had a telephone conversation with him. Mm -hmm. It's almost like calling Barack Obama to get him on the telephone. <laughs> I see. All right, I'll get it out uh, there. Would you like to ask another question? <laughs> okay. uh, my question is regarding the prevailing wage that you said the 12,000 uh, black people that were trained in construction. What was that? In that was. That was go ahead, I'm sorry. Know, I mean, in comparison to what, um, say, the building trade union people make. Well, basically, uh, they, they, everyone uses the Department of Labor uh, uh, wage uh, for each trade, so that's that's federal law. So everyone has to use that one. And and, and the areas where Mississippi, Louisiana, and Florida were the areas where 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 the folks were were trained and and uh, were employed. And also, too, the training is still uh, is going on continuously, so it's not over with. So people are still able to sign up. And then the training is starting to move nationwide. So if you go to that website that I that I gave out, they'll give you all the information. Okay. Uh, and the and the prevailing wage is jurisdictional. Is it? Is it? Yes, correct. No, that's 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 uh, that's that's, uh, that's so nationwide. It's one standard wage. So you think? Because I, I I and I'm trying to understand it. I I don't work in the construction industry at all. But but uh, one other thing that I wanted to point out is there's always a lot of discussion about building trades and construction jobs. But there are a lot of other labor-related jobs that exist that don't get discussions that pay uh, just as well, if not more, that I think need to be included when we're having the labor discussion. Because what happens is not everybody can use a hammer or a, uh, you know, a jackhammer or nails or whatever. There are countless other labor industries, labor-related jobs that, pay well that I think when we talk about labor should be included. Oh, oh yes, I totally agree. I think uh those 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 areas that are that are hidden I definitely need to be marketed, you know, or um, basically on a continuous basis given given the unemployment rate, you know, with our people, you know, locally and across this country, uh anything that's paying anything remotely good that can help them, you know, hopefully buy a house or something along that line, then we definitely for pushing that as well. If I may well, Mr. Carter, yes, uh, first of all, I want to 
say that we have 15 minutes left. These shows do go fast. Oh, wow. It does. It does. <laughs> well, if I, I can. Uh, we'll go fast. But first of all, what I what I uh, like to do, we did have a call on the line. I guess I said sure. 15 minutes and he left. But I'd like for us to do a summation, uh, Mr. Carter, and I'd like for everyone to give their contact information if they would like to, and uh, so we can round out the show. Okay? You got it. Well, uh, can, uh, Mr. Powell and uh, uh, Arnez, can you uh, give your um, um, your final words and contact with the uh, the question of your impression of the state, the Black Agenda Forum that was held here? Very uh, swiftly, please, Mr. Powell. Uh, well, yeah. well, no, ladies first. Miss Marsh can go right ahead. Oh, oh she, she I did. did say I, I was there, uh, and yeah. I thought it was, you know, it was a discussion of the the issues that exist and problems and concerns people had with the direction the administration was going, uh, but it's not anything that most, I, I guess I should speak for myself, that I didn't already, wasn't already aware of. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mr. Powell? Yeah, Ron, uh, my comment is, I, I guess, a little different, I guess because I'm different, but I, I like the grassroots effort. When we when we think about the businesses in the black community, I would like to see when we, we talk about the individual people and what they can do and what we can do to help educate them on how to better run businesses. When we do that, we learn that we can't do it all, and there's material you need to embrace to grow your business. Um, to date, I've owned six different companies, all of which ran by business plan, ran by organizational schedule, which employed people. Those are grassroots efforts, and from that, other people have spun from what I shared. And I think that's going to make the difference as we reorganize. Compared to uh, what happened in Chicago with the uh, black agenda that Travis Smiley uh, 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 put on, well, that that agenda uh, to me is real big. Were you there? No, I I was not there. I was not there, but I do know a lot about running businesses because I did run a black business while I'm still running one, and I ran one for 25 years. And being in a business where you recruit people in to show them how to run businesses or run a business, it gives you a different level of exposure to really where the black business is across the board. But when we talk about the big agenda, pretty much like what Mr. Dancer talks about, that's real big, and that's putting people to work in their jobs. And uh, that's government money because that's a point of view. And that, and that's uh, Stanzi, your uh, assessment of the uh, black agenda that was held here in Chicago and how you per, uh, perceive we should move from that or just your assessment, basically. Well, basically I didn't attend, but I did watch it uh, a couple of times in, in its entirety on uh, WYCC Channel 20. And basically, uh, I felt the dialogue was 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 good dialogue, part part factual and part uh, theater. And from that perspective, that was a policy, more or less a policy dialogue around you know federal policy. I think if you're going to really get down on the ground and and implement a, a black economic game plan. Then it's, it's what I talked about a little bit earlier, understanding the budget and appropriation system and how that ties to the economic and business development system. Until we learn that on the front end, then basically we're going to keep on having roundtable discussions with no 
real tangible measurable actions and if you use the budget and appropriation process and things along those nature then that's something that you can project maybe five years from now i can say if it's given the eighty thousand just say hypothetically uh, from the last census there was eighty thousand black businesses in illinois roughly black owned businesses ninety percent of them more didn't have any employees so we could, let's take that for example and say five years from now maybe let's see if we can get that goal at maybe 25 or 30 percent may have employees. That's sometimes what we can measure, and we can use that to apply for state funds, county funds, city funds, private sector funds, and start looking at how to drive those type of vehicles, something we can measure. Uh, like I said, good theater, but that's not something that's going to really touch the ground. Okay, Mr. Powell, uh, in your business um, of insurance at this point in time, uh, we do want you to, uh, all of you, to give us uh, a number or a website where we, uh, our listeners can get in contact with you. Uh, but where do you see yourself as an entity of the state of black businesses? Uh, do you see yourself as uh individual based on what you have to do, or do you see there is there have to be a connection and you being the black business as it relates to the black economy and If I can use the term um that some elected officials are identified as a black elected official. And then some elected officials are identified as nothing but an elected official. So, do you see yourself as a black business, or you have to be identified as a black business, or you're just part of the regular American uh, stream of business? Well, I service a multicultural client base. However, I'm still a black business. Um, I am in a recovery process, and I do foresee getting back into real estate to employ people. And I'd like to learn more from Mr. Dancer about how to go about finding out the appropriations of these funds because I believe I could use that to employ people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how can people get in contact with you based on your services? My name, uh, again, I can be reached at, I'm in South Holland. That's the Larry Powell Agency of American Family Insurance. And uh, my website uh, is www.larrypowellagency.com. My phone is 708-333-1111. Okay, and Ms. Marsh, with your, what are you doing now based on between your political government work and your, and your vast background in entertainment? What are you working on now? What are you doing? Right now, I am essentially um, working with an agency. We're doing uh, for the federal government. Actually, there's there's a research process going on within the motion picture industry. There's sort of a focus group, if you will, uh, to find out what the real state of the industry is, and that's what I'm helping compile data for that currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any pol- uh, political uh, uh, activities that you're involved in now, or are you going to be uh, another um, 
what's his name? Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, entertaining and running for public office? No, I'm never going to uh, run for public office personally. I um, I don't, like I say, occasionally, If I, I have a lot of friends that are are in elective office, so occasionally I may help out here or there, but uh, I am not really a professional political campaign person. I... Um, my uh, most of my energy and efforts go towards um, creating openings for people in the community uh, within and, and, and helping them gain access to economic opportunities within this industry, and not just in Chicago. That's a nationwide thing. So um, that's where most of my energy has been. Okay, and. Uh my long-time friend and associate that don't call me anymore. What are you doing now? <laughs> I'm getting beat down by Ryan Carter, first of all, <laughs> on, 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 on talk radio. <laughs> That's what's happening first. But okay. uh, but uh, one thing I would like to say, though, is uh, as we have these Black Agenda roundtables, uh, whether they be local, state, or national, I would hope that in the future that the Black Chamber, since we are uh, uh, the largest black trade organization in the country, will be included in these dialogues. I mean, I think it's ironic that we have these dialogues and we have not been included or asked and been invited to any of them. So I just want to get that out first and foremost. Okay, what am I doing, Mr. Carter? Uh, well, basically, as you know, it's getting, it's, it's, uh, well, on the economic side, uh, we're getting ready to have Legislative Day uh, in Springfield. The Illinois Black Chamber and the Illinois Hispanic Chamber are joining together to do that on April 22nd in Springfield to to go after some funding for our organizations to help, you know, be that support system that we talked about that businesses need in order to, you know, to in our eyes to get to get out of one of the three business cycles, which is startup, survival, or growth. So hopefully with some funding we can help people move from startup to survival and from survival to growth. So that's one of the things we're doing uh, locally uh, and statewide on uh, April 22nd. And as you know, uh, we got a governor's race coming up here in November, and we're trying to get the word out on voting records, uh, how, the, how budget appropri uh, appropriations are going right now, when, when budget season right now. So we are strongly advocating for resources for black-owned businesses throughout the state uh, by, I guess, by April 30th. No, I'm sorry, May 31st, the budget has to be voted on. So so we've put together a game plan around transportation, uh, construction, uh, micro-lending, uh, a number of areas that we're going to re be releasing probably within, I'll say, maybe two to three weeks or so to show folks uh, that we do have a game plan and we are trying to execute so those kind of what's going on with us at this point. What's the game plan for the Inglewood community? Well, basically, as you know, we got so many challenges over here um, across the board, like most black communities. Uh, basically, is to uh, we're we're currently reorganizing the organization to to utilize. Um, there's a, a lot of uh, tax abatement legislation. For you know, the term reorganizing is a code for meaning. Mm. That's a cold word, reorganizing. Why you got to reorganize? What's that all about? Well, basically, with any with any business or organization, uh, you have to assess your you know where you know where you've been and where you're going, and mm -hmm. and sometimes you have to make changes in order to make that next step. 
So is there a presence of black business development for the Inglewood community? Is there some type of assessment that um, uh, that's going on with establishing black businesses in Inglewood? Well, we still we're still getting pushed back, uh, even though we are ninety eight percent black community and and we are you know a black business organization. We're still getting you know pushed back from 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 the powers that be that control the resources. Who is the powers that be? Uh, like the List Foundation, uh, you know, they have these quality of life program places, you know, go, uh, programs going on throughout, you know, black and Latino communities. Uh, any, any, most entities that are controlling the resources, especially from a private sector perspective, are, are being controlled by white entities. And if you try to create or generate some wealth and do some real economics in the black community, believe me, it's not going to get supported. Social related stuff, maybe, yes, more, most cases. But when it comes to trying to really uplift black folks and get them out of poverty, is it, it's a fight. So well, that's I think why I probably uh, Sonia, what we probably need to do is uh, as we continue the state of, uh, of black businesses in Chicago, we may have to use a, a an analysis of the powers that be because even though Arnaz definitely listed who he considered the powers that be. But uh, we probably would need a a round table to actually discuss that, and we may have to do that uh, to bring in the powers to be as it relates to the entertainment or the media that influence the direction of the state of black uh, Chicago. So I, I like that term, Arnaz. I mean, we're going to have to expound on the powers to be because we do hear that term. You actually said who is the powers to be, but we need to probably go into detail regarding that. Can I add one thing? Sure. Um, everything that Mr. Danzy just espoused is true of every issue that exists. <laughs> I mean, you could, that could be translated into film. That could be translated into business. I mean, it, it doesn't. That is the problem, and, and until we address that problem effectively, vociferously, there aren't going to be many changes, period. And I think I think I think how we somewhat uh uh impact that problem is is first look at ourselves and, and this nine hundred billion dollars in disposable income or purchasing power we call it. I call it the purchasing weakness. If we got that much disposable income and we worse off than we were doing slavery, I mean that mean we have to look in the mirror first. So there is a game plan that we're gonna be sharing that we want to see implemented around the country that ties to that we're not just talking. We do have things. Well, you all definitely need to be uh, have that game plan agenda to the National Summit of Black Wall Street on August uh, the tw- August the 20th. So I'm going to give you a call, Mr. Dazzy. I hope you return my phone call. I will this time, Mr. Carter. <laughs> Okay, Sonia, we're at the end of our program uh, this uh, evening. Yeah, Mr. Carter, yes, we are. We're right at the end. We have 90 seconds. You know, uh, people come to Black Wall Street, Chicago. Ryan loves Black Wall Street, USA. <laughs> Don't you, Ryan? We go to the we go to the very last seconds. We got 60 seconds left. I want to thank each and every one of you, Mr. Dancy, Ms. Mars. Thank and you. Mr. Powell for joining us today. We Real know quick, that where you get that first name of yours from? Real quick. Me, Lanier. 
Yeah. Uh, my mom it was the first black woman that got a scholarship to college from Marshall High School in the 60s. Her name is Lanye Krim Bearfield, and she lived, I have never met her, but she lived in Evanston or somewhere on the North Shore. Oh, okay. I'm sorry about that, um, uh, uh, Sonia. I had to ask that question. Go ahead. <laughs> you are just so busy. In the five seconds that we have, we want to thank each and every one of you for visiting us this evening, and please join us for the reception on April 30th at... The offices of South Street Journal, 449 East 35th Street. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you, thank you all you for being here. Have a wonderful evening. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye now. Bye.